In this video, we are reviewing the category Warm Herbs That Transform Cold Phlegm. So this is the second section in the chapter Herbs That Transform Phlegm and Stop Cough. So if you want to follow along, you can download the handouts or the flashcards. There are links below. Also, if you want to listen to the audio version of this, you can download the audio or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This video is brought to you by students like you. So if everyone who supports this channel, whether that's by joining the Patreon or making a one-time donation through Buy Me a Coffee, thank you. So in the first section of this category, we talked about the various causes of phlegm, and then we specifically talked about phlegm heat, as in the heat is cooking down the fluids and congealing into them into phlegm. Well, in this category, we're talking about phlegm cold, as in cold is congealing the fluids and turning them into phlegm. So with that phlegm heat category, we said that there's heat cooking down the fluids. It's kind of like you're cooking a stew. If you're making a, a soup or a stew, you cook it down to thicken it. And that's why with phlegm heat, we see phlegm that's thick, yellow, sticky, difficult to expectorate, scanty, as in there's not much amount, because the heat is cooking down those fluids, thickening them, and turning them yellow. Whereas with cold, what's happening is we have a cold pathogen congealing the fluids. And so that's why we see here phlegm that's thin, copious, clear or white, and easy to expectorate. And so here what's happening is the cold is congealing the fluids. Sometimes I think about that saying, you're as slow as molasses in January, as in cold is slowing down the movement of the fluids, and then the cold is congealing those fluids into phlegm. And that's why here we the phlegm is white or clear instead of yellow because there's not heat cooking them down. And we also say that the phlegm here is copious rather than scanty because with heat, that heat was cooking down the fluids. Well, here with cold, maybe we can think that cold is interfering with fluid transformation, that because we're not able to transform the fluids, those fluids collect. And that's why we see phlegm that's thin, copious, and it's easy to expectorate. So that's the type of phlegm we're dealing with here. Another thing we can say about cold is, on the one hand, this cold can cause the fluids to congeal into phlegm, but on the other hand, we can get cold blocking the transformation of dampness. Remember, the spleen has an aversion to cold, so if the spleen is cold, it will fail in its function of transforming dampness, and once that dampness collects, it can very easily congeal into phlegm. So that's another aspect of cold-causing phlegm. So that's what we're dealing with in this category, warm herbs that transform phlegm, uh, cold phlegm. So when we talk about cold phlegm, we can say cold phlegm is thin, copious, white, or clear, and it can also be foamy or bubbly. So again, it's not yellow because it's, there's not heat cooking it and turning it a different color, but it's thin and copious because we don't have that fluid transformation. So even, the cold, even though the cold is congealing the fluids, there's still a copious amount. But then we also talk about something called damp phlegm or phlegm dampness. I think damp phlegm is the Nigel Wiseman term, whereas Bensky says phlegm dampness. And we say, this is a type of cold phlegm and it's just more copious and it's very slippery. And so basically what, what's happening is when we say phlegm dampness, we're talking about that spleen issue where basically your spleen sucks 
it's not able to transform the dampness. And once that dampness sits there long enough, it congeals into phlegm, and we call that phlegm dampness. And it kind of has the characteristics of both, that it's the congealed fluids of phlegm, but it has this copious, slippery quality of dampness. So these are the two types of phlegm that we're talking about in this category. Again, back when we talked about phlegm heat, we were talking about either phlegm heat or phlegm dryness. Well, here we're talking about cold phlegm or phlegm dampness. So that's what we're doing in this category. So when we look at the properties of herbs in this category, first, the herbs are going to be acrid because an acrid flavor is dispersing the cold, drying out the, the phlegm and dampness. But a lot of these herbs are also toxic as well. So that's something that we're going to see as we go through these is a lot of these herbs have to be prepared in a certain way in order to reduce their toxicity. In terms of temperature, these herbs are going to be warm because it's in the name of the category, warm herbs that transform cold phlegm. So they're warm in temperature. And the entering channels, again, are going to be the lung and the spleen, just because we say the spleen is the source of phlegm and the lung is the house of phlegm. Or we can think of it as if, a, if cold gets into the spleen, then the spleen can't transform the dampness and that congeals into phlegm. Or we can think about cold getting into the lungs as an external attack of wind cold gets into the lung and that congeals the fluid. So those are the, the two places where our cold phlegm is going to occur. So very common to see these herbs enter the lung and spleen channels. And some cautions and contraindications here is, again, some of these herbs are toxic, and so we have to make sure that we prepare them properly. By and large, once we prepare them, usually with ginger, their toxicity is reduced so much that we don't have to worry about it, but that is something to keep in mind. Also, we could say that some of these herbs, because of their acrid nature, we're drying out the dampness, they're very drying. And so we have to be careful that we don't um, damage any of the fluids or any of the yin or we don't overly disperse the chi. So this is another thing where we have to make sure our patients are strong enough to take these herbs or if we're using them long term, we don't end up overly dispersing the chi or drying things out. But the main action of these herbs is they transform cold phlegm or phlegm dampness. So these are two types of phlegm that they kind of go together, but we can differentiate between cold phlegm is going to come with additional cold signs, whereas phlegm dampness is going to come with signs of dampness, like a heavy body, poor appetite, things like that. So those are the things we're dealing with here. We have our list of herbs. There's only, there's, this isn't a big category. I think we have, what, six herbs here. So this isn't a big category, but some of these herbs are very important, so we want to make sure we know them. So our first one is Jirbansha Penelia Rhizoma Preparatum. Jirbansha Penelia Rhizoma Preparatum. And so this herb, it, like the category name suggests, it dries dampness and transforms phlegm. So kind of what we're implying here is this is especially for that phlegm dampness. So this is going to be phlegm that's thin, copious, clear or white, easy to expectorate. Um, and we can specifically say that this is that Jirbansha is especially good for those situations where your spleen isn't working very well because your spleen's not working well. It can't transform the dampness, and that dampness congeals into phlegm. So when you say this dries dampness and transforms phlegm, this herb is especially good for phlegm dampness. But we also say that Jirbansha 
resolves phlegm nodules. And so remember when we talked about phlegm, we said that phlegm is not only something that you cough out of your lungs, but we can also have things like phlegm blocking the channels. When the phlegm gets into the channels and causes blockage, then we get certain nodules like in the neck goiter and scrofula or certain lipomas, and that's due to phlegm blocking the channel. So Jirbansha is not only good for this substantial phlegm that you cough out of your lung, it's also good for this insubstantial phlegm uh, clogging up the channels. Bensky also uses the word clumping. So if it's in, if it's in the channels, we might say nodules. If it's in the chest and uh, epigastrium, we might say clumping of phlegm. But again, we might have these palpable nodules in the chest. Goiter and scrofula are nodules around the neck. And then plum pit chi is another example of insubstantial phlegm. This isn't really a phlegm nodule, but this is the, say this is the feeling of something caught in the throat that cannot be swallowed nor coughed out. Sometimes I think we specifically say uh, a feeling like there's a piece of meat stuck in the throat and you can't swallow it or you can't cough it out. Uh, this is called plum pit chi or plum stone chi, and it's usually caused by uh, some emotional distress. Maybe you have some uh, emotional thing happen, and that stagnates the chi. When the liver chi stagnates, the fluids stagnate, and they can congeal into insubstantial phlegm, as in uh, maybe you got some, it's like maybe you got some bad news that uh, it's figuratively difficult to swallow, and that causes a sensation where it's literally difficult to swallow. And so that's what we're talking about with, uh, with this plum pit chi. So Jirbansha is special because it's not only dealing with the substantial phlegm, the sputum that you cough out, but it's also dealing with the insubstantial phlegm, as in phlegm nodules due to phlegm blocking the channels, or plum pit chi as a form of a substantial phlegm. And Jirbansha also has a good action of directing rebellious chi downward. And this kind of happens, again, because we said this is phlegm dampness. There's stuff in the middle jowl, and when it gets stuck there, the stomach can't descend, and so instead it rebels back upward. So part of Jirbansha's action is it can direct that rebellious chi back downward for things like nausea, vomiting, and morning sickness, or vomiting during pregnancy. So that is Jirbansha Penelia rhizoma preparatum. And here again, the preparatum means we have to prepare this herb because this herb is toxic in its raw form. So a few things we can say about this, the toxicity is, we say that raw bansha is toxic. It must be prepared in order to use externally. Um, so there are some external applications where you can use raw bansha if you have certain painful sores or abscesses that is some it is sometimes used externally but if you take the raw bansha and decoct it and drink it 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 can cause a lot of mouth irritation throat irritation and um, make your mouth go numb and things like that so we have to prepare it to reduce its toxicity turns out there are two ways we can prepare uh bansha we can either prepare it with ginger and remember we said this is something that uh, very common using ginger to reduce toxicity. But we actually also have another preparation where we prepare it with gansao or licorice. And so that's called fa bansha. And so actually with both of these, it's, a, it's slightly more complicated than that. It's not like just like we uh, stir fry it with ginger, I think, with the, with the ginger preparation. You boil, you take the raw bansha and you boil it with ginger and 
alum or a loom, some kind of thing like that, and then you slice it and do some additional things. With the gonsal, with the licorice, I think you're boiling it with licorice, but also lime, as in the mineral, like limestone, not lime the fruit, but lime the mineral. And so it's a little bit more complicated than that. But basically, um, if you go to order your bancha from an herb supplier, you'll usually have two options. You'll either say yang bancha or fa bancha, or a lot of times I see it's bancha and then in parentheses yang or in parentheses fa. And so these are the two different types of preparation. When we say jir bancha, we have these two different options. And so with the ginger one, we can say this is best for vomiting when we talked about uh subduing rebellious stomach chi. Remember, ginger, the herb itself, is good for nausea and vomiting, so it makes sense that when you prepare bansha with ginger, it enhances its ability to stop vomiting. But then we have the licorice one is better for spleen deficiency with dampness. Remember that licorice gansao is sweet in flavor. It's tonifying and moistening, so it's not going to be as drying as the ginger-prepared version, but also because gansao tonifies chi, Preparing bansha with gansa will make it better for cases of spleen deficiency. So basically, when we say jir bansha, that's just a general term for prepared bansha. We have two different options. And then if for some reason you do somehow get bansha poisoning, the antidote is ginger, fresh ginger, shangjiang. Uh, fang feng is uh, letaborelia or saposhnikovia radix that we learned in the warm acrid release the exterior or gonsal licorice. So if somebody does get some, have some adverse reactions from taking the bansha, usually like mouth and throat irritation, then those are the ways that you, uh, that's how you do the antidote or reverse those effects. But really, if you're, or, or, uh, if you're getting your herbs from uh, a good pharmacy that they know how to prepare the herbs properly, you shouldn't run into these problems. So a few more things we can say about this is basically, again, bansha, you would only ever use it, at least internally, in its prepared form. So a lot of times people will drop the juror in front of it and they'll just say bansha. So if you hear someone say bansha or if you're looking in a prescription and it says add nine grams of bansha, people, you can assume that they mean just because nobody ever uses the raw form. It's very, I think it's very difficult, if not impossible, to get the raw form. So a lot of times, just to shorten it, people will say bansha instead of jirbansha. And then in terms of your two choices, um, I believe in the Weissman and Brand book, they say that the fa bansha is the more common version. And when I talk to my teachers who... Uh, practiced in China, they said that fa ban xia is the most common one. So it's kind of like if you're building a pharmacy and you only want to get one of them, I think fa ban xia prepared with licorice is the more common one. But when we look at our sample, this sample has been uh, prepared with ginger juice. I think if you if you go look up a look up an image of fa ban xia, it looks a little more uh, less colorful and it's more dusty and dull in color. But those are your two choices. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else down here. We also say that bansha, even though it's warm in temperature, this is good for cold phlegm or phlegm dampness, but it turns out that bansha is so good at transforming phlegm 
we will actually sometimes use it to treat phlegm heat. So you will see banjiao come up in certain formulas that treat phlegm heat. We just have to combine it with other colder herbs. So that's another thing to know about banjiao. It's so good at transforming phlegm. We can use it, we actually can use it for phlegm heat, and we do use it for phlegm heat. We just have to make sure we add in enough cold herbs. The other thing I'll say about the toxicity here is just to, just to note that even though we say that this, this herb is toxic in nature, once we prepare it and once we boil it, it that really kind of reduces or eliminates its toxicity because notice that we do use this herb for morning sickness. So even though it's marked as toxic, once it's been prepared, we do consider it safe enough that we can't even use it in situations of vomiting during pregnancy. So even though we mark this as toxic, really, once you prepare it, it's not so much something you have to worry about quite as much. So that's Jirabansha Penelia Rhizoma Preparatum. Uh, and this is a very important herb. It's uh, one that we really have to know everything about because it comes up. It's going to come up in our, a lot of our formulas. So that's Jirabansha Penelia Rhizoma Preparatum. Oh, and the name of this herb means prepared half summer. And this is just referring to the fact that uh, the herb is harvested halfway through the summer. So it's not anything to do with the actions of the herbs. It's just when it gets harvested. So Jirabansha means prepared half summer. The next is Jir Tian Nan Xing Erysimatis Rhizoma Preparatum. Jir Tian Nan Xing. And so this one is actually kind of similar in a lot of ways to Ban Cha. When we, its main action is it dries dampness and transforms phlegm. So it's a good, so again, it's good for this phlegm dampness. But this one, one way we differentiate it is we say this is stronger than Jirbancha and it's very drying in nature. So this is one that we might have to worry about that we're not overly dispersing the chi or drying things out too strongly. This one is uh, stronger and drier than Jirbancha. But the other thing that makes this one different is that um, this one also dissipates wind phlegm and stops spasm. So here we're not just talking about phlegm collecting in the lungs, but uh, the wind can start blowing the phlegm around. So we see things like dizziness, numbness in the limbs, facial paralysis, like Bell's palsy or hemiplegia after a stroke, spasm in the hands and feet, epistotonos. Uh, epistotonos is arched back rigidity, and this would be considered like wind phlegm. Uh, actually, the only reason I, I know about this or I remember this is because uh, when I was in India, I met someone that uh, she apparently had this at one time. I think she was traveling through South America and she got super sick. I'm not sure if it was like food poisoning or, or something else, but she got so sick like she was delirious with fever, like to the point where like it was disturbing her shen. She was babbling incoherently. But that was one of the things she said she remembered is that her, her spine tensed up and she had this arched back. And she said, she, even though she was kind of going in and out of consciousness because of the fever, that she would try to lie on her back and her back would not flatten out against the bed. So she would roll over on her stomach and, and she was still arched up with, so her, her shoulders and torso weren't touching the bed. And so she had this arched back rigidity and that's epistotonos. Uh, but we could call that uh, a wind phlegm, but also a stroke and seizure as a wind strike. And then things like lockjaw, when we talk about stopping spasm, that could also be phlegm. 
So that's one of the one of the things that makes Jertian Nanxing stand out is it treats this wind phlegm, and we'll see this come up in a lot of our formulas for wind for stroke-like conditions or facial paralysis because Jertian uh, Nanxing is good for wind phlegm. And we can also see that when you look at the entering channels, besides entering the lung and spleen because it's good for phlegm, this also enters the liver channel, and that's a reference to the fact that it also does something with wind. So for Jertian Nanqing, I would definitely remember wind phlegm. And we also say it reduces swelling and alleviates pain, and this is really for external or topical use, so we can say use it externally in its unprepared form for deep-rooted sores and boils, or Bensky says this can be used topically for cervical cancer. I'm not entirely sure how that works. I'm not sure if you like grind it up into a powder and shove it up in there or what. I don't know. It's just that was a note in Bensky, and so I thought it was interesting to say this can also be used topically for cervical cancer. But really, it turns out we can we can do the same thing with bansha. We don't really mention it as a function in Bensky, but when he talks about the various types of preparation, he does say that. If you want to get the raw version of bansha, you have to specifically say sheng bansha. Sheng means raw, and so if you get that sheng bansha, then you can use that externally to treat um, painful sores and boils. Same thing here with jertian nanxing, that we can use it in its unprepared form, sheng tian nanxing, to treat uh, certain skin conditions like painful sores and boils. So that's Jertian Nanxing, and so I would say this is actually fairly similar to the first one, Jirbansha, in a lot of ways. They're both toxic in their raw form, so we prepare them uh, by uh, boiling them with ginger to reduce their toxicity. They're both very good for phlegm dampness. We would just have to say that Jertian Nanxing is more stronger and more drying. But then the other th difference we should know is that... Uh, uh, Jirbansha is better for downbearing the stomach chi to treat nausea, vomiting, morning sickness, whereas Jirtiennanxing is for wind phlegm. It enters the liver channel because it has an ability to extinguish wind. The other thing we can say about this in terms of its preparation, this one actually also has two forms of preparation. So normally that when we say the Jirtiennanxing, we're uh, stir-frying it with ginger or boiling it with ginger in order to reduce its toxicity. It turns out there's another type of preparation for Tian Nanqing, and that preparation actually changes its temperature from warm to cold. And so that is called Dan Nanqing, erysomai kum bile. And so we take the, the Tian Nanqing, you grind it up and then stir fry it with cow bile, and that changes the temperature from warm to cold. And now we have an herb that treats phlegm heat. So the normal preparation, Jertian uh, Nanqing, is for phlegm cold. It's prepared with ginger. Ginger is warm in temperature, so that makes it good for phlegm cold. But when we prepare it with cow bile, it becomes warm in temperature and it's good for phlegm heat. Uh, so it, we say it transforms from heat, and also it still has this ability to extinguish wind and stop tremor. So 
really, if we were if we were actually sorting it out, Don Nanjing should probably be in that previous category of cold herbs that transform phlegm heat. But it turns out that because this is a prepared form of Tian Nanjing, we just talk about it in this category. But really, Don Nanjing is an herb for phlegm heat. So that's that's something we should definitely remember about Tian Nanjing. It has that it uh, not is not only good for wind, but it has this funny preparation method that you can prepare it with ginger and it's good for phlegm cold, or you can prepare it with cow bile and it's good for phlegm heat. And as far as I know, that's the this is the only example of uh, using a powder method that can change the temperature from. Uh, warm to cold. So that's Tian Nanxing. The name of this means prepared heaven southern star. So uh, the, the southern star of heaven in its prepared form. So I'm not sure that has anything to do with its, uh, with its actions or anything, but that's just the translation of Tian Nanxing. And next we have Bai Jiezi, Sinapis semen. Bai Jiezi, Sinapis semen. I say Bai Jiezi. And this is white mustard seed. And so with this one, uh, like everything in this category, it's good for phlegm. But this one we say it warms the lung and transforms phlegm. So this is uh, before we were talking about phlegm dampness with the, when the spleen not being able to transform the dampness, it congeals into phlegm. Here we're more talking about cold in the lung. When that cold gets into the lung, it congeals the fluids. It blocks the lung's ability to regulate the water passages. So we end up with this uh, thin, copious, easy to expectorate phlegm, phlegm, um, uh, thin, clear phlegm. So this one, uh, so it's warming up the lung, but then we say it strongly dries out phlegm. So this is another one that we, we have to be careful with its dosage that says three to nine grams. Sometimes we can use a larger dosage up to 15 grams, but we have to make sure that the patient is strong enough to handle it because, again, it's, uh, this herb is very acrid, so it can very easily overly disperse the chi due to, its, due to its intense acrid nature. So if we're using that higher dosage, we need to keep that in mind and make sure that the patient is strong enough to handle it. But if we stick to that lower dosage range, more in the like 3 to 6 or 3 to 9 range, we can usually use it without problems. Also, what's interesting about this one is that it can be used topically to treat asthma, and so we'll we'll talk about that at the end. But this is another one that besides uh, treating the substantial or real phlegm that you cough out, we also say that this resolves insubstantial phlegm and unblocks the channel. So when you get that phlegm in the channels, blocking the channels, Bigeza can... Um, transform that insubstantial phlegm. And again, due to its acrid dispersing nature, it's able to get into the channels and unblock the channels. So we say for for nodules like a goiter and scrofula or nodules on the neck, or we say flat sores, yin type flat sores on the skin. And then we can also say this is for pain and body ache due to phlegm damp in the channel. So when you get that phlegm damp in there, um, it's almost like a bee syndrome where the phlegm damp is blocking the channels, causing pain. Bigeza is also good for that. And then another one, this is something I had in my notes, but I couldn't find it in a textbook, so I didn't include it here. But something I had in my notes is that Bigeza is also good for um, 
infertility issues due to phlegm. And so this is one of our, uh, when we do our pattern differentiation for infertility, one of the patterns is phlegm. We could say phlegm blocking the channels around the uterus or phlegm blocking the baumai. And so that's a, one possibility for infertility. And it makes sense here when we say that bijita is unblocking the channels. Not only would it unblock the channels and help alleviate pain in the joints, it would also unblock the channels going to the uterus to help with fertility issues. But it so I, 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 I believe that it can do that, but it's just something I had in my notes and I couldn't verify it with a textbook, so I didn't want to put it in there. Um, but then we also have this interesting note down here. You might not be able to read it, but we said that bijeta can be used externally to treat asthma. And the way we do that, I think there are a couple, a couple methods here, but basically we're applying the seed externally to the back shoe points. So the way my herb teacher explained this is uh, you take some seeds and you just tape the seed onto the back shoe points at UB13, UB15, and UB17. After you tape it on there, the patient will get some skin irritation. It will get red and maybe a little bit blistery. It will get irritated. So then you take it off and you let it heal. You let the skin heal. And then you repeat the treatment. And you do that for five to seven total rounds. And that's a way to treat either just asthma or... Uh, can, you can say it opens up the chest. And so UB13 is the back shoe of the lung. UB15 is the back shoe of the heart. I don't think we're actually treating the heart, but it's more about opening up the chest. And UB17, the name of that point is diaphragm shoe. So UB17 is associated with the diaphragm. So it makes sense that we're using that one as well. Um, another method that Wiseman and Brand talk about is they'll, they say to you grind up the mustard seed into a powder and then also grind up shishin, uh, remember, we learned Xi Xin Asari Radix from the warm acrid release the exterior category. This is also another one that's intensely acrid. So you uh, grind those up, mix them together, mix them with vinegar to make a paste, and then you can do the same thing, applying it to the back shoe points. And they also refer to this as a form of natural moxibustion. So you can think about like where instead of burning moxa over a point, you can think about we're using the herbs themselves to contact the skin and create heat and warmth at that point. So that's what we're doing with Bajeta. Uh, another interesting thing about here, this is mustard seed. Um, and so it has this cooking instruction of you add it during the last five minutes of cooking. And this is a little bit interesting because normally when we say add herbs near the end, we might mean like add them at the last one or two minutes because we're trying to preserve their aromatic qualities. This one with Baijiza, we don't want to cook it too long. If we cook it for 30 minutes, it's going to destroy the acrid flavor of this. It's going to destroy the acridity, and so it's not going to work as well. But it still has to be boiled some amount. So it's like boiling it one to two minutes is not enough. Boiling it 10 minutes is too much. So we want about like boil this one for about five minutes, and that's Baijiza. And um, again, this is white mustard seed. I believe the Chinese just means white mustard seed. Bai means white, zi means seed. So bai jietso, white mustard seed. You can maybe think about uh, even if you're just putting mustard on your sandwich, it's usually spicy mustard. You have a, a, a hot, spicy mustard. And so bai jietso warms the lung and it's very spicy. It's very acrid. And so those are the actions of bai jietso, white mustard seed. Next is Jie Gang Platycody Radix. Jie Gang Platycody Radix. 
And this one is actually balloon flower root. I'm not sure I know what a balloon flower looks like, but I just think that I, I just like to think of jiegung like a balloon, and that kind of helps me remember some of this. So this one, it's, we're in the phlegm category, so this is uh, good for transforming phlegm, but with jiegung, we specifically say it disseminates lung qi and transforms phlegm. So what do we mean by disseminating lung qi? Uh, here we can say, Bensky uses the term disseminates lung qi, Wiseman uses the term diffuses lung qi, and this is referring to our actions of the lung. Basically, when you talk about the direction of the lung, we mean, we say two things. That one, the lung disseminates or diffuses the qi, as in it spreads the qi and spreads it to the surface and spreads it to the upper body, and that's one function of the lung. Then the lung also has a function of depurative downbearing. When you breathe in air, the lung has to send that qi downward. So what can happen is if the lung is not diffusing or disseminating, if that qi gets constrained, when that qi gets constrained, the fluids get constrained and they congeal into phlegm. So that's what we're treating here. But also when that qi gets constrained, the lung can't downbear it, and so it rebels back upward, so we get cough. And that's what we're doing here with jie gung, that when we say it disseminates lung qi, it's good for cough with phlegm. Uh, it's both, uh, both helping with the phlegm and the cough. And then with this one, we say it's neutral in temperature, so it's good for both heat or cold conditions. So with jie gung, it's going to be very common that when we have cough or phlegm due to heat, we can use jie gung. Or when we have cough or phlegm due to cold, we can use jie gung. It shows up in both types of formulas, but it's also but by diffusing or disseminating lung qi. It's especially good for treating phlegm and stopping cough. So we say it vents lung qi to stop cough. Uh, I probably shouldn't have used that word vent. Um, that probably makes things more confusing, but it's, it's kind of like the, this is another way of saying it diffuses or disseminates the lung qi, but we can also kind of say that jiegung releases the exterior to some extent. But anyway, it's by... Um, by releasing this constraint, by moving the lung qi, we're able to not only deal with the phlegm, but also stop, stop cough. And jie gung is also especially good for throat issues. So we say it benefits the throat for either sore throat and throat pain or for voice loss. So you can re maybe remember in the last category, we talked about pangdahai at the very end. That's the one that you soak it in water and it looks like a, a sea creature or an alien. That one was very good for transforming phlegm, but it was also good for throat issues and voice loss. Here, jie gung is also good for throat issues and voice loss. So it's kind of convenient that these kind of go together. Then we can also say that jie gung discharges pus, so it's good for lung abscess or throat abscess. And so this is something that we you wouldn't it's not good for like pus on the on the skin. You wouldn't use apply this externally like we've seen with other herbs. This one is good for internal abscess, and you would uh, drink the herb, not try to like apply it on the skin. So jiegung only for only taken internally for those internal types of abscess. And then the other thing, the other really interesting thing about this herb is it's written real small here, but we say jiegung is a lung channel guiding herb. And so I'm not sure if we've talked about this yet before, but there are specific er, there are certain herbs that they guide the actions of the other herbs to a particular channel or to a particular part of the body. And jiegung is one of these herbs that it can guide the other actions of the herb to the lung or just guide it to the chest. 
So one example of this is we have a formula called Shuifu Jujutong, resolve stasis in the mansion of blood decoction. So Shuifu Jujutong is a formula for blood stasis in the chest. So I have chest pain and just signs and symptoms of blood stagnation in the chest. So we, that formula is majorly composed of herbs that invigorate blood. Well, it turns out at the very end of this formula, we also add in a small amount of jie gung. And so when we look at that formula, why is jie gung there? It's not there to transform phlegm. It's not there to stop cough. The reason jie gung is there is because it's guiding the other herbs to the chest. So when you want to treat blood stagnation, we don't want to treat blood stagnation in the lower jowl like painful menses. We want to treat blood stagnation in the chest. So we add in some jie gung to lift those herbs up and guide them into the chest area. And so that's one of our functions of jie gung. Um, so again, this is balloon flower root. So I think of a balloon floating upwards, and so it can lift the other actions of herbs either into the lung or we could say more generally into the chest and into the upper body. Um, so that's what I remember about jie gung is one that it disseminates or diffuses the lung chi. So you can think about this is balloon flower root. Think about when you blow up a balloon, the balloon expands as you blow it up. So you can think about expanding the chest, expanding the lungs and spreading that lung chi. And that's how we get rid of the phlegm and cough. And you can also think of balloons floating upward as in guiding herbs to the chest, to the lung or to the upper body. Next is Xuan Fu Hua, Inula Floss. Xuan Fu Hua, Inula Floss, or Inula Flower. I actually don't know what Inula Flower is, but I guess it's a type of flower. So this one, it's good for cold phlegm, but we specifically say it transforms phlegm and dissipates pathogenic water. So here we're not just talking about phlegm, but remember the lung regulates the water passages. And so if the lung fails in that regard, we can get a buildup of pathogenic water. We can call this pathogenic water. Sometimes Bensky refers to this as thin phlegm or thin mucus, depending on whether you're reading the blue book or the green book. But this is, but so this is not just a phlegm. This is also like pathogenic water. So it's good for that. The other thing that's special about this is we say it softens hard phlegm. So if we have that phlegm in the lungs, we say it's a stubborn lacquer like phlegm. So it's kind of crusted up against the side of the lungs. We need to break that up and cough it out. And and that's what's kind of interesting about this herb is Xuan Fu Hua is also salty in flavor, which is kind of weird. I, I usually don't think of flowers being salty, but Xuan Fu Hua is salty in flavor. And so it can soften that hardness or break up those hard accumulations for that stubborn phlegm. The saltiness breaks that up and makes it so you can cough it out. So that's something special. Um, Xuan Fu Hua, it's also, it's only slightly warm, so we can use it for both heat or cold patterns depending on how we combine it. So this one, it's not really neutral in temperature, but we can combine it with warm herbs or we can combine it with cold herbs to treat either heat or cold patterns. The other important thing we should know about Xuan Fu Hua is that it directs rebellious qi downward. So for vomiting, hiccup, and belching due to cold. Um, so again, kind of like Ban Sha that we talked about at the beginning. Um, 
redirecting the rebellious chi downward, or I think Wiseman would say it down bears stomach chi, or redirects rebellious stomach chi downward. So Xuan Fu Hua, not only good for phlegm, but again, good for uh, rebellious stomach chi. And we'll see that come up in a, a formula or two. So the name of this one means rotated upturned flower. And I'm assuming this is, has something to do with um, how the flower grows. So maybe look up a picture of inula flower and see if it is indeed rotated and upturned. But I would remember that this one is number one, salty in flavor. So it's good for that um, stubborn lacquer-like phlegm. And then also definitely remember that this directs rebellious stomach cheat downward for vomiting, hiccup, and belching. Oh, and this one also, because it's a flower, we have the special cooking instruction that you have to put it in a, uh, like a tea bag or wrap it in gauze. And basically the, the flower has little hairs that can very easily irritate the throat and they're very difficult to strain out. So the flower, um, this is a new word I learned, is that, the, that part of the flower is called the pappus. I had never heard this term before until I read Bensky that it's the pappus of the flower can irritate the throat. So if you think about... Um, the dandelions, like not when they're yellow, but when they're fluffy and you blow on them and the little, the little fluffy parts float away, that's the pappus. And it turns out that if we try to boil this in a decoction, um, when you strain it out, those will usually not get strained out with your regular strainer, so it can very easily irritate the throat. So to prevent that, we wrap it in gauze or put it in a tea bag. You may remember we did the same thing with Xin Yi Hua, magnolia flower from the warm acrid release, the exterior category. Xin Yi Hua, very good for opening the nasal orifices, but it was a flower and it also had this instruction that we needed to uh, wrap it in gauze so we don't irritate the throat. And finally, I think this is our last one. Bai Qian, Sinanchi Stontoni rhizoma. Uh, bai Qian. Sinanchi stontoni rhizoma. And this one, it um, down bears chi and transforms phlegm. So here I use the Wiseman term, down bears chi. I think uh, Bensky says, redirects rebellious chi downward, but it down bears chi and transforms phlegm. So it's, um, when we say down bear chi, we mean down bear lung chi. It's good for cough, and so it's good for a cough with phlegm. We... We specifically say cough with copious sputum, and it's good for when there's phlegm in the throat, so a gurgling in the throat or a sound in the throat that Bai Qian has a specialty that it's good for phlegm in the throat. I'm not sure that this is a major one. This one you might just want to remember that it's in this category of herbs for phlegm cold. So that's Bai Qian, and uh, the name means white before. Again, I'm not sure what the significance of that is. I just like to... Um, I just like to put the translation there sometime. So Bai Qian, white before. And so those are the warm herbs that transform cold phlegm. And uh, what I like to do now is I feel like we've gotten to the point where we've, we've learned a number of herbs. And so sometimes now I like to go through certain formulas that contain these herbs so we can get a little bit a little bit better idea of how these herbs work and what kind of context we will see them in. So this isn't meant to be a formula class. If you're an herbs too, you don't need to learn formulas. You don't need to memorize formulas. But I feel like this just gives it some additional context that we can see how these herbs are working and what kinds of signs and symptoms we're treating here. So one of our major formulas for phlegm is archentong, two-age decoction, archentong. And this is a formula for 
phlegm dampness. When we say phlegm dampness in the spleen and the lung. So again, this usually starts out as you have a crappy spleen, your spleen doesn't work right, it's not able to transform the dampness, so that dampness congeals into phlegm, but sometimes that phlegm appears in the lung. So we see cough with copious white, easy to expectorate sputum because of the combination of like phlegm and dampness. So it's not going to be that thick yellow stuff that got cooked down by heat. This is going to be uh, copious as in a large amount, white and easy to expectorate. We might see focal distension and stifling sensation in the chest and diaphragm so that that uh, phlegm dampness is collecting here and stifling the chest. Nausea and vomiting, because again, we're, we're dealing with stuff in the middle jowl that your spleen don't work right, and then you got this phlegm dampness collecting there, so the stomach isn't able to downbear the chi, so it rebels back upward. So we see things like nausea and vomiting, and even dizziness because of the phlegm. Look at the tongue and the pulse. The tongue has a white coat that's either moist or greasy. And so this is very characteristic of either phlegm or dampness. We have this thick, white, greasy coat. The pulse is slippery, again, very characteristic of phlegm or dampness. So when we look at our herbs, if you've taken the intro to herbs class, I think we've actually learned all of these herbs. So we start off with ban sha. Here again, I write ban sha. I really mean jur ban sha, the prepared form. There's no reason we would use the raw form. So when I say ban sha, you can assume I mean prepared bancha, but the bancha is there to transform the phlegm because that's our, our root thing. We're dealing with phlegm dampness. Bancha transforms the phlegm. But then we also have chen pi, which is aged tangerine peel. So on one, on the one hand, chen pi does have a, a bitter flavor that can uh, transform phlegm and dry out uh, dampness. But chen pi is also there to regulate qi. That's one of our strategies for treating phlegm is that if the qi is not moving, then the fluids aren't moving. And if the fluids aren't moving, they can very easily congeal into phlegm. So by regulating qi or moving the qi, that means the phlegm can't form. So regulating qi is part of our strategy for treating phlegm. Then we have fuling that we learned in the category herbs that drain dampness. Fuling is bland in flavor, so it promotes urination to drain dampness because that's where the phlegm came from that the, this dampness accumulated and congealed into phlegm. So by promoting urination, we're kind of getting rid of the root. Remember that fuling also is sweet in flavor. So it has some action of tonifying the spleen. So again, we're taking care of the root, tonifying the spleen, taking care of the dampness. And so it's like we're attacking this phlegm from three different directions, transforming the phlegm directly, regulating the chi, but also taking care of the spleen and draining dampness. So archentong. Very common formula for dealing with phlegm dampness, and we'll see it come up in a lot of other formulas kind of as an add-on. Another interesting formula for phlegm is Qing Qi Hua Tan Tong, clear the qi and transform phlegm decoction. And this one is actually for phlegm heat. So for phlegm heat, we say coughing of thick, yellow, difficult to expectorate sputum, the phlegm has cooked down the fluids. It, and by cooking down those fluids, it thickened them and it turned them yellow. And because it's now thick and sticky, it's very difficult to cough out. Again, a focal distension in the, and fullness in the chest. We look at the tongue and the pulse near. Now the tongue is red because of the heat and it has a greasy yellow coat. So greasy because of the phlegm, but yellow because of the heat. The pulse is rapid and slippery. Rapid because of the heat, slippery because of the phlegm. And what's interesting here is when we go to the ingredients, 
we actually see this R Chen Tong again, Ban Sha Chen Pi Fu Ling. So remember we said before that with Ban Sha, we said Ban Sha is really for cold phlegm and phlegm dampness, but it's so good at transforming phlegm, we'll even use it for phlegm heat conditions. And this is our example here with Qing Qi Hua Tang Tong. This is a phlegm heat condition, but we're still using Ban Sha. It turns out we just have to combine it with other colder herbs to make sure that the overall temperature is cold. So here you can see our Dan Nan Xing, the, the Nan Xing that got prepared with cow bile. Dan Nan Xing becomes a very cold in temperature or cool in temperature because we prepared it with cow bile. So here's an example where we use Dan Nan Xing as a major herb. Huang Qin, remember uh, in the damp heat category, we talked about the three Huangs, Huang Qin, Huang Lian, Huang Bai. Each one goes to one of the three burners, one of the three Zhao. So Huang Qin was especially good for uh, heat in the upper Zhao or heat in the lungs. So it makes sense that we would use Huang Qin here for heat in the lungs. Gualo Ren is Trichosanthus fruit seed. We learned that one in the previous category, um, herbs that transform phlegm heat. So Gualo Ren good for transforming the phlegm heat, but remember it's also sweet in flavor, so it can moisten the lung, moisten the phlegm and make it thinner and easier to expectorate. And then uh, you might remember if you, uh, if you took intro to herbs, Xing Zhen is one that we'll learn in the next section. It's good for stopping cough. So this we're take, again, taking a, a multiple approaches to deal with this phlegm. That can use the bansha to transform phlegm, but then we add in colder herbs to deal with phlegm heat. So that's an example of herbs that treat phlegm heat. Ban Sha Hu Pu Tong, Penelia and Magnolia Bark Decoction. This I just want to throw in here because this is an example of plum pit chi. So we say a feeling of something caught in the throat that cannot be swallowed nor ejected. Um, so this is an insubstantial phlegm. We're not coughing phlegm out, but we have a feeling of something stuck in the throat. But notice when we look at the tongue and pulse, we, the tongue and pulse still looks like phlegm. So we see the tongue has a moist or greasy coating because of the phlegm, even though it's not substantial. And the pulse is slippery because of the phlegm. We also say wiry here because, again, this is an example of when the liver chi stagnates, the fluid stagnates, and that turns into phlegm. So often this, is, this condition is caused by like an emotional upset that stagnates the chi and stagnates the fluids. But anyway, this is an example of using ban sha to treat that insubstantial phlegm as in plum pit chi. I think this is the last one I just threw in here, Xuan Fu Daijitong Inula and Hematite Decoction. So of course, you can tell by the name, this contains the herb Xuan Fu Hua Inula flower. And this is for phlegm obstructing the interior with, with a weak stomach. But the signs and symptoms we're gonna see are unremitting belching, hiccup, regurgitation, nausea and vomiting, and heart epigastric focal distension. So this is an example of using Xuan Fu Hua to deal with rebellious stomach chi. And so we say phlegm obstructing the interior. So we got this phlegm in there mucking things up, but also the stomach is weak. The stomach can't downbear the chi. So combine those two and the stomach chi starts to rebel upwards. How do we deal with that? We use Xuan Fu Hua to redirect that rebellious stomach chi back downward. You can also see Ban Sha is there because Ban Sha is another one that we said redirects rebellious chi down, downward. So those are two herbs that we learned in this category that the, yes, we're using them for phlegm, but we're also using them to subdue rebellious stomach chi. 
Dydrusha is hematite, so this is an example of using a heavy mineral to weigh things down. Instead of weighing down the spirit, we're actually weighing down the stomach cheese. So that's interesting as well. But the ones we learned in this category were Xuan Fu Hua and Ban Sha. And I'll be honest, I think this might be the only formula where, where that we learned that has Xuan Fu Hua in it. So I would definitely remember for Xuan Fu Hua, rebellious stomach chi. So those are herbs that uh, are warm herbs that transform phlegm cold. If we want to do a review, we started with uh, Ban Sha or Jir Ban Sha that dries dampness and transforms phlegm. So it's good for phlegm damp. It's also good for insubstantial phlegm, like um, phlegm in the channels, uh, goiter, scrofula, nodules, insubstantial phlegm like plum pit chi, and also very good for treating nausea, vomiting, morning sickness. Jirtian nanqing is similar in a lot of ways, that it's also toxic in its raw form, so we prepare it with uh, ginger in order to reduce its toxicity. We, it also is good for phlegm dampness. We could actually say it's uh, drier and than bancha. But remember, Tian Nanqing was also special because it transforms wind phlegm. It enters the liver channel because it deals with wind as well. And then Tian Nanqing is the one that we could prepare it with cow bile in order to treat phlegm heat. So Tian Nanqing is prepared with ginger to treat phlegm cold. Dan Nanqing is prepared with cow bile to treat phlegm heat. Uh, Bai Jietza is mustard seed. So think about like when you put mustard on um, a sandwich, it's a, it's a hot, spicy mustard. And so Bai Jietza is very acrid. It's intensely uh, acrid. So it's very good for warming the lung and transforming the phlegm, but also unblocking the channels. Jiegang is balloon flower root. So think about when you blow up a balloon, the balloon expands the same way here where expanding expanding the lungs, we're disseminating or diffusing the lung chi to stop cough and diffusing the lung chi in order to deal with the phlegm. Also, balloons float upward, so it's going to guide other herbs up into the chest. Xuan Fu Hua was inula flower. Like we said, this uh, transforms phlegm. I remember it's salty in flavor, so it's good for breaking up that hard lacquer-like phlegm. It's good for dealing with uh, copious fluids in the lung, but then it also redirects rebellious stomach chi downward. So we saw that with Xuan Fu Hua and Jirban Cha were being used together for unremitting, belching, hiccuping, nausea, vomiting. And then uh, Bai Qian is a uh, uh, down bears lung chi and transforms phlegm. So it's, it's good for phlegm, but it's also good for cough. So that's our uh, category for phlegm cold. Here we went through kind of a very detailed look at these, at the herbs in this category. If you're studying for finals or for urines or for boards and you want a more of a quick review of all of the herbs, I do have a course online, the single herb review course that goes over all of the herbs and it's meant to be Rather than this in-depth discussion, it's meant to be more of a review if you're reviewing for a big test like finals, year-ends, or boards. And also, if you are at the point where you're studying formulas, I also have a formula review course online as well, and that goes over all of the formulas on the NCCOM list. So if you're studying for second year-ends, or you're studying for your formula finals, or you're studying for boards, that's another course you can take. So there are links to that below if you want to 
um, look at those courses. But that is our category, Warm Herbs That Transform Phlegm Cold. Again, thank you to everyone who supports this website, the YouTube channel, and everything I do here. Um, if you'd like to uh, support the channel, there are a couple ways you can do it. You can join the Patreon, and that's like giving a monthly pledge. It gives you a subscription to the special Patreon area on the Patreon feed. You can do a one-time donation uh, by clicking the Buy Me a Coffee link, and that just gives a one-time donation. But also, I know that not everybody is at a, you know, we're students. Not everybody can uh, give monetary support. So even if you just uh, like this video, share it with your friends, share it with your study group, I'm starting to lose my voice. So let's end it here. Thanks for being here. We'll see you in the next one. Herbs that stop coughing and wheezing.